It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Thursday. Everybody is present and accounted for. Uh, Bob was uh, fashionably late, but uh, you know, you know, it worked okay for him. We can't give him a lot of static though. This guy's coming off a grueling two-week schedule. That's true. Covering Not, trial. Well, I'm half asleep right now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we're just glad to see you. Bob. But speak softly, please. <laughs> Yeoman's work. Yeoman's work, for sure. Doing the heavy lifting. Thank, we thank you. We thank you for that. We got uh, our midday program coming up, talking about what's going on the next couple hours. Uh, Jason Jorgensen, you've heard his voice. You've heard the voice of Bob Brogan. And now you're going to hear the voice of Shaylee Peters. Hi, Shaylee. Well, good morning. How are we, how are we doing today? Not too bad. It's... Uh... You know, it's starting to, that cold front came in, feel mm-hmm. a little more like fall, so it not does. too bad. It does definitely feel like fall, and unfortunately, because of the winds, uh, a lot of the, the leaves around the trees have made it look kind of prettier gone now, so, but, you know, what are you going to do? What do you, <laughs> what do you have for us, Shaylee? Well, of course, we've always got a packed midday coming up. It's Thursday, so we've got our angler journey continuing with Alex Wachowski. She's got Logan Peters on as her guest today. He started his business, North 40 Premium Beef, with the help of the angler program, and we'll hear more about that. Bryce will be on for our newsmaker today. It is Cooperative Month here in Nebraska for October, and so he's got the head of the Co-op Council, Rocky, with uh, him on at the newsmaker, 1245 today. And then I'll be back at 117 to wrap up midday. Of course, it's that time of year. We've got a lot of hunters out and about or soon to be out and about. And for guys maybe considering an alternative form of revenue, uh, hunting leases may be something that they can, uh, or hunting permits or uh, hunting options on their property, uh, something that they can consider different things, different angles to look at as far as uh, that for producers. So okay. lots of information Boy. coming your way during the midday. You do, lots, do lots of stuff. Thank you. Thank All you, Shirley. All over the place. All right. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, but thank you. Let's turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. And what I don't understand is how could Coach Saban have allowed the COVID virus to get to him? Yeah. I mean, I just don't Hopefully see Hopefully he'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was something that popped up the last yeah. 24 hours or so. So Good. that was yeah, him and the AD, if I remember right. So. so they're battling some COVID issues in the SEC. But for the most part, they've been able to pull things off. Sure, they have. So yep. Uh, yep. Yep. there's some people I saw on Twitter take glee in that, and I'm like... Just, just leave it be. I mean, let's just move on, all right? Uh, second day of state softball. Uh, a couple of local teams did very well yesterday. In Class A, North Platte, they got themselves a nice team. They won Two. both of their games. And Carnegie Catholic went 2-0 and yesterday. Each of those two will play later on this afternoon at winner's bracket matchups at 4.30. Also, we'll talk some volleyball. We'll have a huge match, one of the biggest matches in the state tonight in high school volleyball. You have 22-1, and second-ranked Overton in C2 taking on 24-0, top-ranked Pleasanton and D1. Those two will meet at around 7.30 in the FKC championship match from Carnegie Catholic. We'll have the championship match and the third-place match tonight here on this very radio station. All right, very good. Bob, quickly, what do you got going on in news? Stocks lower on Wall Street. Uh, the market's on track for its third straight loss this week, so we're watching that. All right, very good. Thank you. That's midday. 
144 here in the Central Time Zone. Time for us to talk about weather and see what's going on, how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins has joined me in studio here. Welcome, Paul. And much cooler for today right now. Yeah, and uh, I was just noticing that they're talking about, like up in Great Falls, Montana, maybe a foot of snow. Ooh. It could stay north. <laughs> that can that can just stay up there, but there's a chance we might see a few flakes as it goes. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Saturday night into Monday, maybe some chances of rain and snow. It's going to be very light if we do see any. Uh, they do have nearly yeah, five inches of snow do. in southwestern Wyoming right now, but also the temperature is three above there too. <laughs> oh, oh, that is it's 33. Okay, That's, it's uh, it's hiding. It's yeah, hiding it's behind hiding. there. The, the but... one digit was uh, hiding, but it is in the 30s in the Nebraska in much of uh, Wyoming on into. Montana, and we're pretty much in the mid to upper 40s across our area here. Well, it certainly is changing, and it, it definitely feels a little bit more like fall out there. Definitely feeling that, and getting closer to winter as we start seeing those snow chances sneak into the forecast and the much cooler temperatures, and the cooler air looks to stick around for quite a while. We will have some nice breaks over the next few days, though. Today, though, will be mainly sunny. Temperatures 10 to 15 degrees cooler than average, as some cool high-pressure slides in from the west. Could see some light rain or sprinkles with a weak disturbance sliding southeast, mainly in Nebraska and North East Colorado for today. Any of that cloud cover expected to clear tonight to allow plenty of cooling as heat escapes into the atmosphere with temperatures dropping to around freezing across the central and west, near freezing or just above freezing as you head towards the east. And because of that, we do have frost advisories and freeze warnings in effect for much of the west and central. Tomorrow and Saturday will be milder with some westerly downslope winds developing as a weak ridge of high pressure moves overhead. Saturday will be our warmest day the next seven with seasonal highs much cooler air returns with another strong cold front for saturday night daytime highs will cool to the 40s and low 50s for sunday and monday then slowly warm to near 60 by wednesday sub-freezing temperatures are likely every night this weekend through early next week now the only night over the next seven days probably we won't see the prospects of freezing temperatures is tomorrow night it will stay on the mild side but saturday night through tuesday night much of the air expecting freezing temperatures and some of those, of course, will be some hard freezes. A uh, few disturbances could cook up some light rain or snow for Saturday night into Monday. And something to watch, another cool down and maybe even more rain and snow chances may be our headed our way for next weekend. That is reflected in the long-term forecast. Cooler than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, on into the North Central and Northwestern U.S. for Tuesday through October 28th. Above normal precipitation is likely in the middle of next week for Nebraska and Kansas before the forecast starts trending near normal to below normal precipitation late next week through the 28th. In the latest regional drop monitor, Nebraska dropped two percentage points to where now none of the state is drought-free, so all of Nebraska in some stage of dryness. Most of the state, though, abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought is now found around Burwell, south to Loop City and St. Paul here in central Nebraska. Also along and south of I-80 from Hastings to Ogallala and also north of I-80 in eastern Nebraska. Still nearly all of the panhandle in stage 3 or extreme drought. Kansas dropped 22 percentage points. Kansas was 22% drought-free last week. Now none of the state is drought-free and is in some form of dryness in Kansas. Nearly all of Kansas 
right now is abnormally dry to a moderate drought along the Kansas-Colorado border. It remains in severe to extreme drought. One of the factors affecting the markets include a higher chance for rain in the central Brazil area and moisture concerns in international wheat regions. Southern Plains crop areas will be dry and very dry through the next week, a trend that's unfavorable for winter wheat. With all of Kansas now in some phase of drought, beginning winter wheat conditions are reportedly the lowest since 2006. Internationally, Russian wheat area rain chances continue to be promising over the next 10 days. South Russia, the primary focus area for the rain, the heaviest expected so far this crop season. In the last couple of months, South Russia has had its lowest rain totals in the past 30 years. Southeastern Australian wheat areas will continue with light rain through the next seven days. Other wheat areas will be mainly dry. In central Brazil, the forecast models point to improved rain chances the next 10 days. Moderate to locally heavy totals expected in Mato Grosso, and that will favor soybean planting. Central Brazil planting at its lowest pace in 10 years. All right. Boy, dry. It's mm. just dry. Oh, yeah, uh, and what we're going to see over the weekend, not going to amount to a whole lot, but maybe some chances by the midweek, a few more disturbances slipping south, but probably nothing overall too promising as far as any big precipitation totals. Uh, cooperative for the harvest, but uh, you may want get, to start getting harvest done because it looks like we're starting to trend a little more with some precipitation in the forecast. Yep. Well, it was nice to at least see clouds. I mean, we really even <laughs> hardly seen any clouds. There's just nothing up there. So. Exactly. And right now, uh, we're back to sunny to partly cloudy, except for along and south of I-70 in Kansas. Okay, yeah. Quite a bit. Quite a bit along the I-70 corridor, huh? Okay. All right. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page, krvn.com. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey, celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. But I think that's key, is never to measure who works more, it's to measure where you want the company to go. Thanks so much for joining. Logan Peters is the co-founder of North 40 Premium Beef. It's a business that got its start in the Angler program, but Logan has always had a passion for entrepreneurship and livestock. And so I guess uh, started back uh, when I was eight years old and joined 4-H, bought my first bucket calf and quickly fell in love with the cattle industry. I was born and raised on a f small family farm mm -hmm. that focused in, in hogs and pigs. I hated pigs and uh, decided through 4-H and FFA that I was going to build uh, an enterprise around cattle. And so I quickly decided to diversify in these other ventures to, to get more money to, to buy more cows. So fast forward to when Logan joined the Angler program, he decided to create a business plan to help him vertically integrate his beef cattle operation. I've been involved with the Wagyu beef cattle. It's a Japanese breed. Um, they're known for extreme marbling. It's a healthier kind of intermuscular fat, higher in omega-3, higher in omega-6. It's, it's kind of more of an elite, kind of a fancy premium uh, beef. And so yeah. Angler helped me, helped me turn that just a commercial cattle operation into deciding to finish my cattle out all the way and then eventually creating a business plan to sell that meat directly to individuals, restaurants, and into wholesale uh, avenues directly from our family farm. But he had a different business before he started his current business called North 40 Premium Beef. You know, I, I, I kind of had this idea and, and developed it by the time I, I graduated. I went home to fully work for myself right after college and ran a hay business and this cattle operation. I did some auctioneering on the side and then I decided to move move out to, to Boise, Idaho to work for this company called Agar Beef. And the pivoting point there was to decide that I needed to learn more about vertically integrating my beef operation to fully put this business plan in place. 
uh, to make sure I knew what I was doing before I actually actually did it. And so from there, I actually started talking with fellow angler alumni, Alex Heine, and he found a lot of interest in something that he wanted to do. And so we decided to partner. And together, they decided to start the company North 40 Premium Beef. The name kind of had two meanings, too, when we started. First, it was supposed to be kind of the coordinate of our family farm. We decided not to use anyone's family name. We just kind of wanted something neutral. But the more we think about it, North 40, it's like the North 40 acres, like the field. Yeah. So it kind of ties back to the family farm feel. And although he still runs North 40 Premium Beef, he's learned a lot from his job a thousand miles away in Idaho. One day I was driving a tractor, and it just hit me one day, and I felt like I hit a plateau. I felt like I quit learning. I was just going through the motions. I wasn't happy around the multi-generation family operation and decided I really needed to put this business plan to use that, that I created in Angler. And that moment, it was on my, on my birthday, I, I decided to accept this job working for a company called Agar Beef with the brand Snake River Farms. And my, my goal there was to decide to go work for the company that I respected the most that I thought okay. was doing the best job of selling meat direct to consumers. And so Logan made the trek to Idaho and said it was one of the best decisions he's ever made. Admitting that I was going to go work a day job for another company, a big company, instead of working 100% full-time for myself and my own businesses was maybe a little hard to swallow. But understanding that life's, life's longer than you think when you're in college and understanding that I wanted to go learn and basically get paid to learn and decide what I, what I needed to learn before I launched the meat company directly was probably something Tom Field would, would teach me is go learn from someone who does it well and then apply it to your own business. Learn more about the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for joining. Until next time, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. Time for Midday Sports, which means Jason Jorgensen has now stepped in and Day two of the high school state softball commencing in Hastings, and well, the weather isn't too shabby. No, it's okay. I mean, it's probably a little cool over there in the shadows, but it could be worse. Class B right now, GICC is leading Crete 5-3 to three in an elimination matchup, and Elkhorn in the top of the fifth has a 3 nothing lead over Seward. In Class C, Guardian Angels Central Catholic is shutting out Malcolm, 2 nothing in the bottom of the fifth, and in the bottom of the third, it's Fairbury up over Central City. Five to one. Earlier today in Class A, Lincoln East knocked out Papillion La Vista South nine to one. In Southeast, they were twelve two winners over Bellevue East. Also in Class C today, uh, Fairbury won their first elimination game as they beat Saint Cecilia. A couple of area teams did really well yesterday. North Platte's got quite a team. Mm-hmm. They won both their games. And in Class C, Carnic Catholic went two and zero. Oh. So those two will be playing today in elimination. I should say winners bracket matchups at four thirty. Good for North Platte. They got things going right now in uh, girls sports. Third place in championship matches of the FKC Volleyball Tournament are set for tonight at Carney Catholic. Uh, we'll have those matches for you. Uh, coming up at 6, it'll be Elm Creek against Amherst. Then at 7.30, the rematch between Overton and Pleasanton, two of the better teams in the area. Pair of 4 and 3, eight-man team square off tonight as Southern Valley welcomes in Arapahoe to wrap up the regular season. Eagle head coach Russell Norton says their first year of eight-man ball has gone pretty well. We're happy where we are. We can't live in the past. We're going to control what we can control. We found out who Southern Valley is. We found out what Southern Valley football looks like. And so, you know, I wouldn't change. 
Meanwhile, Arapahoes won two straight, but head coach Dustin Kronhoven acknowledges Southern Valley and their athleticism will present some issues. That's, that's something that's going to cause us a little bit of trouble, you know, keeping up with their athletes. If we can kind of contain their athleticism a little bit, not get them out in open spaces, we should be okay. Arapaho needs a win to help its playoff chances, while Southern Valley does have a little bit of flexibility if they lose. Kickoff is set for seven on the river. You will have the call of this game. I would be shocked if you don't have a good football game tonight. It will be terrific. I don't know if it'll be 58 to 40 with Arapaho had last week with Bertrand, but it should go right down to the wire. Again, Arapaho fighting for the playoff lives. Southern Valley, it's always easier. You win, you know you're in. You lose, then you have the waiting game, and that's no fun. Couple of nice stories here. One, Southern Valley had to uh, forfeit their last six mm-hmm. games last mm-hmm. year because they didn't have enough kids. For Arapaho, they only won a game a year ago and they had a bunch of kids hurt, so they've each had pretty good 2020s. Kudos to both these coaches in the short time they've been there. They're, they're turning things around. And if you missed it yesterday, the NCAA Volleyball Championship is returning to Omaha in 2020. It will be hosted December 15th through the 17th at CHI Health Center. Now, they were supposed to get it in December. There's still been no word from the NCAA on who's going to host the Final Four in April. There is still hope that Omaha will get to host that event. I I would assume and announce it would be coming soon. I don't know why Nebraska and Omaha wouldn't be able to host it this year, but I don't know who where else you would go. But it's the NCAA, and they don't always make a lot of sense. But at least Omaha knows they'll get it <laughs> in 2022. That's sports. For more, you can always find it at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Jason. This Saturday, tune in to hear our special edition of our Greatest Games feature as we'll re-air the original 1994 broadcast of the Nebraska football team's clash against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Takes the counter, wants to throw, Terman goes down, long, it's Abdul Muhammad, he's got the ball! Complete inside the 20-yard line! Holy cow! Unbelievable! Tune in this Saturday at 1 p.m. Central, noon Mountain Time, Greatest Games. Celebrating 25 years of the Husker Sports Network. It is time for Midday News. Ellen Simmons has now stepped in. And Ellen, you and I were just discussing. You you are a fan of these cooler fall temperatures. I am. I enjoy wearing sweaters. <laughs> and why is that? Because they're warm and cozy. But you're not, you don't like being warm and cozy without putting on the layers no. during the summer? No, because you sweat. You could sweat if you have your sweater on. No. See, sweat in the sweater. There's uh, a reason probably why that's there. I know. I, I, there's really no other word to use for them, though, because originally right. I think it was more because sweatshirts were made to work out in and sweat. I see. All <laughs> right. Well, all I know is uh, I'm not a fan, and it's going to stay cool for the rest of this week uh, into I'm next so weekend. Sad. Ellen Simmons is excited and uh <laughs> We'll just let her get right to news. <laughs> well, early Wednesday afternoon, Lincoln County Sheriff's Office were called out to a two-vehicle accident involving injury on South Buffalo Road in North Platte. A large straight truck headed southbound on Buffalo Road stopped for a car ahead, turning into a private drive. A southbound pickup pulling a large dump truck uh, behind the straight truck did not see that traffic was stopped and rear-ended the straight truck. Neither vehicle struck Uh, the turning car. The the driver of the pickup was trapped and had to be removed by rescue workers and was taken to Great Plains Health with life-threatening injuries. The driver of the straight truck had no injuries and uh, drugs and alcohol were not suspected. No further information was available at that time. Lincoln County Sheriff's Office and the North Platte Fire and Rescue responded to the scene.
Nebraska has reported nearly 1,000 new cases of the coronavirus. Doctors in rural areas are expressing concern about the high rate of infections across the state, and Nebraska's positivity rate ranked sixth highest among the states on Wednesday. Dr. Rebecca Steinke is medical director of the Central District Health Department in Grand Island. She says virus cases in that area have been rising in the past few days, so it's important that people take precautions such as wearing masks. State health officials reported 924 new cases of the coronavirus and three new deaths Wednesday, bringing the state's total to 54,467 cases and 530 deaths. In other news for the coronavirus, Nebraska's governor uh, announced on Wednesday that rising numbers of new cases of of COVID-19 in the state is being watched co- closely, but did not say he was ready to make any changes to the directed health measures currently in place. During a news conference in Lincoln, P- Governor Pete Ricketts said with the state of uh, a high of 315 current virus-related hospitalizations, state health officials are monitoring the impact on the Nebraska's health care system. Dr. Antone continues to engage all the hospital systems with regard to their capacity. Um, to put that in perspective, that's a little bit under 8% of our total hospital beds here in the state. And, of course, we're just going to continue to evaluate the actions and steps we're taking as we go forward. So we'll continue to monitor that situation. When asked if it's time to reimpose stricter limits on crowd sizes, Ricketts said officials are looking at the data from contract tracing. And in general, the new cases do not seem to be coming speci- specifically from larger gatherings. The governor does say his office is looking to how, uh, at how to uh, provide additional help to hospitals, but details have yet to be fully fleshed out. Well, you can find more news at krbn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. Celebrating Cooperative Month on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. On September 10th, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts proclaimed October as Cooperative Month in the state of Nebraska. Rocky Weber, President and General Counsel for the Nebraska Cooperative Council, says it's an important time to recognize the role that co-ops play in communities. This is the fourth or fifth year now in a row in which the governor has done that. And in doing so, I think he recognizes just how important Uh, and how many people are involved with the cooperative business structure in Nebraska. You know, Bryce, co-ops are member-owned, and so they are really unique in terms of the type of business they are and and the mutual benefit that they return to their members. Now, when people think of cooperatives, they may think of the rural community that many reside in. Weber points out that they can also be found in urban areas as well. Absolutely, rural Nebraska for sure. But, you know, we have, we have co-ops in urban areas in Nebraska too. We have grocery co-ops, finance co-ops, housing cooperatives. So urban people do understand and are members of cooperatives as well. One of the big success stories, Bryce, has actually been our rural utility cooperatives. Our, we have several rural telephone cooperatives and several rural electric cooperatives in Nebraska whose ratepayers, the members, the residents of those areas, built those, those transmission systems and maintain those transmission systems to this day. They were, they were critical in bringing that infrastructure to rural Nebraska. And then when you get to the farmer-owned cooperatives, they really are the cornerstone of the cooperative system in the state of Nebraska. And so while there's fewer cooperatives today, we have locations in 404 communities across the state, which is actually an increase over the last four years of about 30 locations. And you might ask, well, why you know, fewer co-ops but more locations? Well, 
These farmer boards of directors are saying, where do we deploy our assets the best to serve our farmer members? Where can we put the best speed and space in for them to get their inputs during the spring planting season? And where can we best put the grain facilities in so they can dump their grain quickly and get back out on the farm and continue harvesting during fall? So that's why you've seen an increase in locations and, and kind of some change there. Last year was a tough year in, in agriculture. And uh, even so, last year, Nebraska's farmer-owned cooperatives returned just a little over $50 million in cash equity payments cash patronage payments and, and redemption of equity payments in cash. That's into rural Nebraska hands and rural communities. They also reinvested $157 million in new assets to serve the farmers, fertilizer plants, uh, grain shipping facilities, rolling stock, all uh, grain storage, all kinds of things have, have been built to help serve their farmer members. And again, when farmers own the company and elect the board of directors, it's, it's that farmer board of directors making those decisions about deploying those resources back to benefit the farmers. So co-ops are a real success story, and it's really part of, it goes back to the foundation of this mutual benefit. We're going we're gonna to work together for our mutual benefit. We're going to create the savings, and we're going to take the savings and help ourselves economically, help our communities economically, and, and, and have the things we need in rural Nebraska. This year, the Co-op Council is celebrating 75 years as an association. It is a big year. Back in 1945, uh, several cooperatives got together and decided they needed a statewide organization to unify their interests in dealing with both the legislature and the regulatory environment in Nebraska, also with issues going on in Washington, and, and also to educate and to bring the cooperative system up to date. At that time, there was a persistent rumor going around, Bryce, that cooperatives didn't pay taxes. And they really felt that one, one of their, I was looking at some of the history today, and one of their first goals was to make sure they got the word out about just how much in taxes your local cooperatives do pay. You know, they're usually one of the biggest property tax payers in any of the communities that they are in. And as we know, property taxes are big, big supporters of our school systems. Weber says they've been fortunate when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic, not disrupting too many operations when it comes to Nebraska cooperatives. The, the whole initial shutdown and closures and everything else took place in March right at the start of the spring planting season, the spring season for agriculture. And a lot of concern about governmental action and what kind of action the government was going to take to shut businesses down and do things. Very pleased with our Nebraska state government. Um, from Governor Ricketts down through all of the agency heads, uh, they really did a fine job of keeping the agricultural community advised as to what was going on deemed agriculture to be essential. We didn't face what other people face in other states in terms of lockdowns and being unable to serve our farmer members. Planting season went tremendously well. As far as I know, there was few, if any, cases during the planting season and the busy season. As the summer has worn on, I've heard of a few cases here and there. Uh, but the cooperatives have really, really done a good job of pivoting very quickly, kind of changing the way they do business to make sure they're keeping their employee groups apart a bit and making sure that their customers are safe uh, when, they, when they come to the cooperative. And you can't just drive in now and go to the warehouse and, and do what you want to do. You've got to kind of wait outside and have somebody bring your stuff to you. But, but everybody's had to make adjustments, and I think those have gone well. As far as I understand, with the harvest kicking off here, um, the employee groups are healthy. Uh, everybody's rolling. Uh, grain's coming in slower than what they thought, given the warm weather we had for a while, but the grain is coming in. And uh, I think everybody's confident that they're going to make it through the, 
the harvest season uh, without too much problem from the from the pandemic. So, those comments from Rocky Weber, the president and general counsel for the Nebraska Cooperative Council, as we celebrate October as Cooperative Month. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are lower on Wall Street, putting the market on track for its third straight loss this week. The S&P 500 gave up nine-tenths of a percent in early trading. Rising infections in Europe and new measures to contain the coronavirus motivated investors to pull money out of riskier investments. European markets fell broadly after France imposed a curfew on many of its biggest cities and Londoners faced new travel restrictions. The number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits rose last week to 898,000, a historically high number that is evidence that layoffs remain a hindrance to the economy's recovery from the pandemic recession that erupted seven months ago. Today's report from the Labor Department shows that the job market remains fragile and it coincides with other recent data that have signaled a slowdown in hiring. COVID-19 took another bite out of Walgreens Boots Alliance quarterly numbers, but this time left behind better-than-expected earnings. The drugstore chain says it made $373 million in the final quarter of fiscal 2020 after losing $1.7 billion the previous quarter when millions of shoppers stayed home to avoid the rapidly spreading pandemic. COVID-19 still hurt. The company estimated that the pandemic's impact shaved about $520 million from its operating income. Four statewide manufacturing groups pledged today to join forces and coordinate their individual efforts to grow manufacturing and the STEM workforce in Nebraska over the next decade. The Made in Nebraska Manufacturing Alliance is comprised of the state's Nebraska Manufacturing Advisory Council, the Nebraska Advanced Manufacturing Coalition, the Nebraska Manufacturing Extension Partnership at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and the Nebraska Chamber, Nebraska's affiliate of the National Association of Manufacturers. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Considering hunting leases as an added enterprise, I'm Shaylee Peters back with you on the Rural Radio Network. And we're going to hear today from Randy Sainer. He's a Nebraska Extension Educator for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. As we get closer to uh, some of those big hunting seasons or are within some of these hunting seasons, he talks about considerations producers should make when it comes to liability and other things on their property. You know, hunting leases are uh, just another chance for people to maybe make a little more income off of their operation. Um, and there's, there's many ways they can do that. But the big thing is, you know, you have people coming on your operation. So you need to have, you need to have a written lease. You need to have insurance. Um, you need to make sure that a lawyer's looked over your lease so that um, the liability is, is less if you have that. If you don't, you have a higher liability. You need to make sure you have signs. You need to have places marked that could be a liability as far as somebody getting hurt. Um, and, and make sure you've had a lawyer go over any kind of lease or statement you have them sign. Because even though they signed a statement that you're not responsible for accidents, if you're you're liable if if you don't if you're negligent, if you don't take care of those things that need to be taken care of. Um, usually your lease, you know, goes from May to October one for pasture. If you've got a pasture lease with somebody, you need to make sure to know who has the hunting rights. That's a big issue because 
if you don't have it in writing, it's considered the leasee has hunting rights. But if it's only leased from May to October 1, let's say for a range or cow-calf operation, then after October 1, who has that lease? And most of our, like, deer hunting and stuff is going to be later than that. So you need to make sure you have that in writing. Senor also talks about some of the different options that landowners have when it comes to doing it on their own or bringing a third party in. So if you go with an outfitter or somebody like that, just know you're probably not going to make as much, but they take care of a lot of the legality stuff. You know, if you have problems, you can go directly to them. But you need to make sure that they're reliable because in some cases people have had trouble um, with those outfitters. But in most cases, people like that because they take care of all the extra stuff. They get the hunters and those kind of things for you. And some of your legality is is, is helped with them because they usually have some insurance too. Even though I would make double sure that I probably had extra insurance on my place too. The other thing is, you know, if you can not only manage your cattle operation, but manage for the wildlife a little bit, that may be a way to improve the amount of wildlife you have, which is going to make your your hunting area more acceptable or people are going to want to go there more. Look at it on a long-term basis, you know, how sustainable is it? Does it fit into your natural resource area to what you have available? I think all those things. And then like a birding company, like you mentioned, just, just for people to watch birds, I mean, there's a lot of interest in that. There's also open games or open open hunting um, with the game in parks and they'll pay you some but when you do that then you have to allow people to come on to your place um, for, for open hunting but some people do that and that just gives them a little better better income because um, they get so much per acre for that again those are not as maybe as lucrative as if you do it yourself but remember we're not all experts and so sometimes having an expert to help us may not be a bad idea Again, hearing from Randy Saner, Nebraska Extension Educator. For more on hunting leases as an added enterprise, you can visit beef.unl.edu. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Typically joined this time of day with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, unfortunately unavailable here today. We're still going to recap here the closing cash grain or the closing grains and see what happened. Wheat really making a surge here this afternoon as we see it continue to move higher. The December Chicago settles 21 and a half higher. December Kansas City wheat settling 558, even up 22 and three quarters. So really strong day here in the wheat and that is with as yesterday we saw the uh, corn moving down lower with the wheat today with the wheat moving higher corn coming along with it although china was back in the market here this morning purchasing 261,000 metric tons of soybeans so that helped to bring at least the front month of soybean contracts around and when you look at the soybean parts complex so meal still having a very strong day the december will settle eight and a half higher at 372.10 so with that the parts complex trying to support the beans but unfortunately many of the deferred contracts will settle a quarter to about two and a half lower across the board. Now, the interesting thing to note, I think, is the fact that we've seen wheat be the most uh, susceptible to a currency market. Typically, when the dollar goes higher, wheat does not like to buck that trend and try to move against it. Today, though, those rules went completely out the windows. We saw, at times, the dollar index 50-plus ticks higher. Right now, as we're talking, it's 48 ticks higher. So, with that, uh, wheat started to buck that trend and move around. I think a couple dynamics going into this. The Paris wheat milling 
futures on near multi-year highs as we see it to go there. So globally, we're seeing higher wheat prices and that's supporting the U.S. production. But as well, we're seeing continued dry conditions and really Russia is now smart to, starting to go into its hard frost and freeze season without, without a lot of moisture to help that crop get solid emergence coming up now going into a brutally cold winter and uh, not helping out their production. Argentina, as Mike Zuzlo discussed in his midday market commentary, catch the podcast at ruralradio.com. There, Mike was talking about the fact that Argentina is also starting to cut their production numbers because they're in the middle, as much the U.S. hard winter, winter wheat belt, a La Nina type weather pattern. That means drying down conditions and overall uh, tough times. So again, this wheat market seems to have a lot of play to it. Still a lot of factors to come in, though. We have a U.S. presidential election and more ahead of us. So plenty of downside potentials also starting to be built into this market. I'll be curious to see tomorrow where the CFTC data starts to play some of these uh, long positions and what the funds are starting to think. Maybe funds started to pile in a little today as well, trying to take advantage of these weather markets as well. They bought a lot of safe haven assets like treasury bonds in the U.S. dollar. Who knows? Maybe commodity inflation is that next area that funds may be looking towards. But again, strongly higher closes in the wheat markets here today. Corn following along did get out more uh, corn or U.S. ethanol data as we see production rise. Those stocks quickly following along. So we'll be curious to see if we can, can maintain that production through another week. Let's check out the closing grain markets on the Rural Radio Network. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Thursday edition of Midday. If you want to go back and listen to any of our segments, you can listen to the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors at krvn.com or iTunes.